John chapter 4, 19. I'm just going to read the first half of the page there. Starting in John 4, 19. Everybody found the spot there? Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It was funny. One of the commercials was for Ram Truck. And uh, while they were showing the Ram Truck, they had um, Dr. Martin Luther King, one of his sermons in the background. And uh, this was what was playing uh, while they were showing the Ram Truck. This was the sermon that uh, Martin Luther King was preaching. This morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great. Everybody. Because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know about Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. That's what he was preaching in the background while they showed you the Dodge Ram truck. Is that who makes Ram truck? Dodge? And I was thinking, while they were preaching that, I was thinking, okay, well, the truck is supposed to be able to serve. It's a message to us as people we should serve. And the truck also serves, so that's why you need to buy a Ram truck. Uh, It will help you serve, and it will serve you well. However, here's the problem. (laughs) They cut out the beginning part of the sermon. Here's the beginning part of that sermon. Um, Martin Luther King is preaching on that time that uh, John and James had asked to sit at Jesus' right hand, at his right and his left. And Jesus said, no, that's not the way it's going to be for you as who are followers of me. We are going to serve all people. And here's how he began the, ser- he began the sermon. He says, the presence of this in- instinct explains why we are so often taken by advertisers. You know those gentlemen of massive verbal persuasion. They have a way of saying things to you that kind of gets you into buying. In order to be a man of distinction, you must drink this whiskey. In order to make your neighbors envious, you must drink this type of car. In order to be lovely, you must wear this kind of lipstick or this kind of perfume. And you know, before you know it, you're just buying that stuff. That's the way the advertisers do it. It's funny how that's the beginning of the sermon. (laughs) 
Don't buy what the advertisers are selling you. Instead, what you should do with your life is be a servant of all and serve people instead of being consumers. And uh, I, But that's lost in the commercial. Okay. One other thing. I thought this was interesting. I ran into this a number of years ago. In the 1950s, nine black children went to high school in Arkansas. And you've probably seen video clips of those nine black children walking as they have the National Guard there and the white parents and the white students are all angry and they're calling them names and they don't want them to come into their school. Have you seen that? Okay, that shouldn't sound like it's too strange to you. I ran across this the other day and I thought it was wonderful. I thought I'd just read some of it. One of those nine people was a little girl and her name was Melba Beals and uh, this is what she had to say. First of all, the person asks her a question. Uh, from the outset of the book that you wrote about your grandmother, it provided a strong spiritual foundation. How did her example encourage you as you endured angry white mobs and disapproval from black students at your old high school? My grandmother always said, look, God is right there with you all the time to guide you in your thought, to guide you in your feeling, to guide you away from fearing. You have to be aware that you are filled with the Spirit of the Lord, and that will guide what you do. She would say, God is as close as your skin. He is right there every moment. So when you feel that something is going wrong, know that God is with you and it will be okay. You will learn a lesson. You will survive. Uh, three weeks into her first semester, she showed up and uh, Dr. Martin Luther King had come to encourage these black children who were being persecuted by the whites for coming to their school. Uh, he told her to stop being selfish. And this is how she explains it. Dr. King had been coming to Little Rock on a regular basis and this particular meeting was in the basement of a local NAACP leader's home. He was in the room with the nine of us, along with a few adults. I had seen him before, but never spoken to him in person. I was whining and complaining. It's hard. I don't like doing it. And he did say this to me. He said, look, be clear about this. Melba, you're not going to this school because it's pretty, because it's comfortable, or because you will get a better education. All of that is icing on the cake. You are going to this school in order to facilitate a lifestyle for everybody around you. You're not doing this for yourself only. And Dr. King was absolutely right. You need to think about what you're doing in terms of how it's serving others, not just how it's serving you. And I hope my experiences will be a testimony to others that they can have a faith in God that will carry you through hard times in life. John chapter 4 is a story about living a life for others. And in John chapter 4, Jesus has to go through Samaria. That's what it says. He has to go through Samaria. That's unusual. Usually, if you were in Jerusalem and you wanted to go to Galilee, what you would do is you would go east 
cross the Jordan River and you would go up the east side of the Jordan and then cross back into Galilee so that you would never go through Samaritan territory. That's how much they disliked Samaritans. And it's not like it's all Jews who live on the, on the east side of the Jordan. Most of that is Greek territory. And so the Jews thought, instead of going through Samaritan towns, instead of buying Samaritan food on the road, we would rather go through Greek territory, buy Greek food, drink Greek water, and then go back to our towns rather than go through where those Samaritans live. But Jesus went through the Samaritan town. And he stopped at a Samaritan well, and there he waited for one woman. And she came out, and he met her at the well. And it seemed the most unlikely of scenarios. First of all, she's a Samaritan, so this is a, some kind of a half-breed Jew. She has a different religion. They have a different Bible, the Samaritan Pentateuch. Um, she is not a moral woman. She has had five husbands, and now she's living with a man who is not her husband. And furthermore, she's a woman. And Jesus goes there to meet her specifically. That's the way I take the story. Wow. Because he came not to serve himself, but to serve others. That's a message for us. Right? There are people in this town, and you know the people in this town that you don't want to associate with, the bad people, and those are the ones that the Lord wants us to reach. Is that right? That's right. And they're weird, and they look weird, and they have funny tattoos, and they have things sticking in their face, and they do weird things with their bodies, and Jesus, God wants us to reach them. That's what this story's about. Um, we looked at the beginning of the story last time. We're picking it up in verse 19. Jesus has just told her when he said, go and call your husband. She says, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. You're telling me the exact truth. You're exactly right. And she's floored. How can Jesus know this about her? Because he does. He knows everything about her. Verse 19, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And now she wants to talk about religion. And I mentioned last time, she wants to talk about religion because she doesn't want to talk about herself. Right? Okay, you're getting too personal. You know, you know I've had five husbands and I'm with a person that's not my husband. Rather than talk about my life, <laughs> let's talk about religion. Right? People would rather do that. Rather than talk about the pain of their own lives, the problems of their own lives, uh, yeah, let's talk about something else. Notice Jesus' response. And I want to break down, I want to look at everything Jesus says to her. Verse 21, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Six things I want to draw to your attention. First of all, God's bigger than any location. God's bigger than any location. The worship of God in one place, Jerusalem, that was true for the Jews. But that was rudimentary. That was like kindergarten stuff. It was, tr- it was trying to lead them into proper worship of God. There's something higher and better than going to one place to worship God. And that's worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. That, that is the reality. That is, that is where He was taking us as a, as a, as a human race. And, and this is shocking. It's shocking to her when he says, you can't worship in this mountain. And it's also shocking when he says, and we're not even going to be worshiping in Jerusalem. A Jew is saying that? That's got to be shocking for her to hear. Every gospel says Jesus has Jesus saying this. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And it seemed nonsensical because it had taken them 70 years to build the temple, and they were still building it. It would not be finished until the 60s A.D., just in time for it to be destroyed. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And everybody was saying, that's stupid. It makes no sense. And, of course, he was referring to the fact that you destroyed this temple, meaning his body, in three days he raises it up, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, put him on the cross, bring him out of the tomb. There's a new way to worship God. You no longer need the temple. You no longer need sacrifices. And it takes three days. It takes three days to change the way we worship God. Second thing that's shocking about the statement. Notice Jesus says, you, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Jesus is saying, you're wrong. You can't say that anymore. Your religion is wrong. Jesus said that, right? You Samaritans don't know what you're doing. There is such a thing as true worship of God and right worship, and there is wrong worship, and there is religious worship that God finds unacceptable. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm of the opinion, and and I've told you before, my opinions are right. I'm of the opinion that human beings always get worship wrong because we always want to worship a God made in our image, a God that we control. And we always get it wrong. That's why God has to help us and has to tell us and has to lead us into proper worship of himself. Otherwise, as human beings, we always are wrong when it comes to worship. That's my opinion. We always want to create a God like us that we can control, a God that finds us acceptable, a God that finds our ways right. And that's wrong. Shocking. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. In the end, this kind of worship cannot satisfy the way Jesus is talking about. There's always something missing, and there's always a thirst for God. Number three, notice He says, we worship what we know. We worship what we do know. 
for salvation is of the Jews. And this is strange in the Gospel of John because most of the times in the Gospel of John when the Jews are mentioned, it's negative. But this is as positive as it gets. Salvation is from the Jews? Uh, what are the people in the world who are anti-Semitic? How are they going to handle that? Well, salvation is from the Jews. I think one of the reasons why there are so many anti-Semitic people in the world is that there are a lot of people that are angry with the true God. And so they're angry with the way he did things. And he chose to bring salvation to this planet through a select group of people, the Jewish people. People don't like that. One way, coming through one people, that can't be right. But it's right. Jesus says it's right. Salvation is from the Jews. Here's what Paul says about it. And, and this is Paul writing in Romans. And Paul is beside himself because he thinks the Jewish people are abandoning Christ, rejecting Christ, and they're lost. And so he's in tears, and he's weeping, and he's praying for his people, the Jewish people. And here's what he says, the good thing he says about them. Even though they're lost and they're rejecting Christ, here's what he says. He says, they are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. The Jewish people have all these wonderful things that they have brought to the world. They're lost, but salvation has come from them. Point number four. Notice what else Jesus says. Jesus uses the Father deliberately. Notice the woman says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Ancestors. We're blessed because our ancestors gave us a religion and our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. And Jesus' response is, I don't want to talk about your ancestors. I want to talk about the Father. The Father. Notice, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. Not on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's the Father. Not fathers. It's the Father. This week I did a quick internet search on my relatives. I was trying to find some information about one of my relatives. His name was George Whitfield Ben. And uh, in the 1700s, one of the most famous preachers in the world was a man by the name of George Whitfield. And so I think what happened is uh, at some point my ancestors uh, came to Christ and they heard George Whitfield preach and they go, we've got to name our son George Whitfield. And so they named him George Whitfield Ben. But that's all I know. I wanted to find out more. That's all I know. George Whitfield Ben. That's my ancestors. Uh, every one of us can find something good in our tree. But don't look too hard. <laughs> You'll find something bad in your family tree too. 
It doesn't take very, you don't have to look very far. But it's funny how, you know, we, at some point we all want to know, I wonder where I came from, and I wonder what my ancestors were like, and I, I wonder what they did, and I wonder where they went, and, and where they've been, and, and what is my history. And uh, there is a way to honor that. However, there's also a way to get so caught up into it that you miss the Heavenly Father. Right? I'm not a Christian today because of George Whitfield Ben. Maybe there's some influence on me today. But by the time my father grew up, he was still going to the United Church and... Uh, he went to the United Church, and I think it was a split off of the old Methodist Church. It became a United Church. He went to the United Church, and uh, one day a friend of his, they were having a Sunday school contest, and a friend of his said, won't you come to church with me? And uh, so my dad goes, well, you know, I already go to church. I, I go to the United Church. They were having a special, special sermons at the Baptist Church, and and uh, so uh, he said, okay, I'll go with you. And he went on a Sunday night service, and it was uh, First Baptist Church in Wallaceburg, and they were meeting in a basement, and uh, the preacher preached. And my father said, here, here I was, 17 years of age. I had never heard the gospel before, even though I'd gone to church every week at the United Church. And it was the first time I heard I need to have a, give my life to Jesus, repent of my sins, and turn to God. And he did. He came to Christ. And eventually his entire family came to Christ. Because they'd been going to the United Church all their lives too, my grandparents. And they had never given their lives to Christ. Strange. Don't get so caught up in your ancestors that you miss the Father who wants to have a relationship with you. By the way, the man who invited my father to church. <laughs> my father just told me this a month ago. He said the man that invited him to church after a few months stopped going. And later in life, a few years ago, he said, you know something? When we went to that church back in, I forget the year, it took with Jerry. It didn't take with me. Sad. Very sad. Died without Christ. Jesus uses the, the, the Father deliberately for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus Christ is the Son. And so he's talking about the Father, and the only way to worship God the Father is along with the Son. That's why he's the father, right? Father, son. But he also wants us to be his children. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He says it in John chapter 1, but as many as received him, to them he gave the authority, the power to become children of God, whoever believes on his name. Number five, we're still in the same little section. Uh, and I love this one. Notice the Father is seeking worship. Verse 23. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, 
for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking worshipers. What I used to think, I used to look at it this way. God is up there and he's looking down on the planet and he's trying to see which one of, our, which one of these people are doing it right. And then when he sees us, he goes, great, there's one right there, I found one. Today, I don't think that's what it means. Now, if you hold that opinion, it's okay, because I held it once, so it can't be terrible. It's just not the best. (laughs) I think what it means is he's trying to find new worshipers, and so he's, he's on the go. He's looking for those that aren't his worshipers so that he can bring them to be his worshipers. The Father is seeking worshipers. That's why Jesus goes to Sychar in in Samaria to give give the truth to someone else so that they can become a worshiper. The Father's not passive, looking down on the planet going, boy, I hope somebody... I hope somebody does it the right way so that I, then I can, I can accept them. He's up there and he is seeking for you. And he's looking for you. And he's trying to find you. And he's giving you opportunities all of the time to become one of his children. The Father is seeking worshipers. That's why he sent Jesus into the world. That's why he sends us to our neighbors and why he uses us on the job to tell people about Jesus. Now I say on the job because this woman's just doing her daily chore. She's going out to get water. I suppose that's like going to the grocery store today. Going to the grocery store and meeting a Christian. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That's what we should be doing. The Father seeking worshipers. Number six, and I'm going to end with this even though I've got pages left, God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. God must be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Notice a time is coming and has now come. Now's the time. True worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is a spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. So let's talk, first of all, about uh, spirit. Um, It's possible that all of you are here today, and it's possible that none of you are actually worshiping in spirit. It's possible. Now, I hope all of you are worshiping in spirit. But it's possible to come to church, to walk through the doors, to be present, but that's all it is. You're just going through the motions, and there's nothing in your heart. There's no love for God. There's no enjoyment of God. That's the spirit part, right? We could, we, you, could just come, you could come to church every week of your life and yet never have worshipped in spirit. Or think of it another way. Uh, before you came here, how many of you showered this morning? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking carefully. You know something? We, we all showered this morning. And we put on clean underclothes and clean clothes. We want to look good when we go out in public. Right? That's like worshiping, but that's not spirit. That's not spirit. Spirit is, Father, I'm so happy to go to church, but before I go there, forgive me of my sins. 
you know something, Father, I'm empty, and I need you to fill me up today. I need you to cleanse me. I've cleaned the outside. <laughs> you clean the inside. Right? Worship, worshiping in spirit is more than just showing up. Only when there is love, broken spirit, humility, can there be worship. It's not the physical act of prayer that's worship. It's not putting your butt in the chair in church that's worship. It's not singing praise that is worship. It's the spirit behind the actions that is worship. Secondly, there's only worship where there is truth. And you can only come to God through Jesus Christ. That is truth. There's no worship of God when there is no cross of Jesus Christ. That is truth. There is no forgiveness of sins without the cross of Jesus Christ. So we must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, this morning, is God your Father? Is He your Father? And have you entered into relationship with Him as His child through the Lord Jesus Christ? For those of you who are already children of God, are you joining in with God's mission? He is a seeker of worshipers, actively seeking. And he wants us to join in with him, actively seeking worshipers. That's our task. And that's what Jesus is doing as he meets with this woman. That's what happens in the rest of the passage. I don't know if we'll get to that next week or whether we'll move on to something else. The disciples return. They're shocked that he's talking to a woman, but they don't say anything. And they said, Jesus, we brought you some food. I don't need any food. I've got the food of doing the work of my heavenly father because the woman had run off. She'd left her bucket, but she needed the water. She'd run off to town, and now the town was coming out to meet Jesus. Beautiful story.